the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into our three this election day, November 3rd, 2020. I knew there would be a lot of questions and uh, thoughts uh, having to do with uh, election uh, possible uh, irregularities. Uh, certainly everything about this year has been irregular. Uh, that would be an understatement. And that's why I did not want to uh, break our tradition of having uh, Hugh Hallman with us in our third hour uh, as we do every Tuesday, usually with his son, Lewis, but um, just with Hugh tonight. Hugh Hallman is, of course, the former mayor of Tempe, a noted attorney in town, an educator. Hugh, uh, thanks for joining us, even though I know it's remote. I appreciate you being with us today. It is an honor and a privilege. I am sorry Lewis is not with us, but we are not talking mostly COVID, and he is actually doing a bunch of consulting work right now on some fairly sophisticated modeling. So uh, I, he gets a night off. Uh, I am thrilled, however, to be with you on this historic election eve. Thank you, uh, you. Four years ago, I was in a radio studio, not with you. It was later in the evening, Seth. And uh, the numbers came in, and uh, it was the final sort of moment, and uh, the, this sort of sense of calm came over me. And all I could think about is, well, now the Supreme Court will at least be safe for a while, and we'll get some good appointments. And, in fact, we have. Uh, President Trump has made uh, some remarkable strides and uh, across the board in our judiciary. And that's probably the most uh, important legacy he's got now. And the question is, can he build on that? I have a lot of, you, you've raised so many things I want to ask questions about. Now, we usually do talk a little bit of COVID, and I want to do, start that but with, a, with, with an angle, because I think something you were texting me about the other day at Tempe Town Lake, uh, there will be cases, no doubt, First Amendment cases going before the Supreme Court. Um, talk, tell me about what transpired and what the pushback was at Tempe Town Lake the other day over a prayer event. It looked like a prayer meeting, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. It was a, a concert uh, and uh, prayer vigil event that took mm -hmm. place in Tempe Beach Park. And uh, folks on the left are absolutely outraged that the city of Tempe did not shut it down. And I am uh, actually thrilled that somebody exercised some judgment and understood that the First Amendment is one of the most important elements of our Constitution. Yes, it was thrown in as one of the Ten Amendments, but the reality is that that is the one that protects our freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and freedom of the press, and that there are people in our country who now do not understand that primal, primary tenet of our freedoms stuns me. Uh, so our newspaper, our, our state's newspaper record finally reported on it. I could not see any coverage on it until t this afternoon when the Republic reported 
that uh, a group that really started out of California, a uh, Christian, Christian worship leader, and I'm not actually sure how he pronounces his name, it's Faucht or Faucht, F-E-U-C-H-T, started in California in response to that state's lockdown mm-hmm. of religious services. Mm-hmm. and put together uh, sort of a outdoor uh, revival kind of mm-hmm. activity. Mm-hmm. And it's taken place in other states, and on Sunday it took place in Tempe, at Tempe Beach Park. The reason I emphasize those words is because under our First Amendment and court rulings, as you know, as a great lawyer yourself, Seth, the Supreme Court's made it very clear that there is one place that is absolutely sacrosanct for gathering uh, together and expressing one's views, including one's religious views, and that is a park. Mm-hmm. It is the consummate place where the First Amendment activity takes place. And the city of Tempe and its mayor are being beaten about the head and shoulders, uh, mostly by the left, for refusing to shut it down. Now, the mayor obviously did not and does not ever have a role, having been in that job. Mm-hmm. You're not the one that enforces the law immediately. The police do. Mm-hmm. But somebody wisely understood that even in this COVID crisis that has been overplayed by many in government, um, the the connection between the crisis and the ability to stop people from worshiping freely has been broken. And the case law, even in the state of Arizona, as a result of the governor's shutdown of uh, Series 6 license holders, which are bars effectively, and house clubs and other things, the case law that's developed since August makes it very clear that the state is now skating on thin, thin ice when it tries to impose these restrictions. And the governor wisely, in his executive orders, exempted constitutionally protected activity. And now the question is, how is it that people in our country don't understand that worship is one of the most protected First Amendment activities one can have? It's covered in three, four different ways in, the, in, in that provision. You can't establish a religion, you can't interfere with religion, and you have the right to assemble. Those are three ways. And then you have the right to uh, speak. So all four of those protections in one amendment protect religious freedom. And that there's people in our society who say it's okay if you protest on behalf of Black Lives Matter, and a bunch of public uh, health officials will say, well, that trumps any concern over COVID-19. But people who gather together freely in a park, in the consummate public forum, are criticized for daring to gather together to pray and celebrate their religious beliefs and they didn't do so by complying with every possible uh, health order that they might otherwise complied with. We give it, uh, on the left, the right to uh, protest. We joked earlier on in this crisis that we found the cure to COVID-19. It's protesting for Black Lives Matter. Well, in this instance, you've got people on the right who gathered together to celebrate their Christian religion, and they're being criticized for having done so in a park. Really powerfully Nutty. stated. No, well, well stated, uh, Hugh. Thank you for that. I have to tell you, this started a bit in Arizona. It probably happened in every state when you saw people coming to rallies uh, for President Trump, and you saw the media, uh, major parts, mass parts of the media, uh, condemning Outraged. these kinds of things. I have to say, I thought the governor, the governor, always used to always get asked by by the reporters about. He was very good about this, saying, you know, just again and again, I'm not going to stop people from exercising their First Amendment or constitutional rights. And it almost was an answer, Hugh. I mean, I can't speak for them. I can't get inside their heads. 
but it was almost an answer they didn't understand. And I wonder, this is kind of an epistemological question for you, but I wonder if the First Amendment has been so um, tattered and downgraded and abused, including by the mass media, that this argument um, is, it falls, falls, falls so cold to so many, um, that the First Amendment has taken such hits. It seems to have become nothing more than a partisan angle to silence whom you want and let speak who you want, that people just don't appreciate that, you know, there's some people on the other side that may not agree with you that have their First Amendment rights too. Do you think some of that's going on? Absolutely. And in, in, in part, it really started in the 1960s and, and what has happened in our press uh, and to elected officials as a result is part and parcel of that. What do I mean? In the 1960s, there was a case against the New York Times by the yep. NAACP, of all things, yep. suing the New York Times for having slandered the New York Times, written a piece that was proved to have been false. And the Supreme Court, and it was not a, you know, it was not a horrible, horrible statement. It wasn't any, you know, people had committed murder or anything like that. It was just a, a, a public statement that was false. And the Supreme Court, in trying to protect the freedom of the press, to make sure that we had plenty of room to run for the press, ruled in that case, called the New York Times Standard, that before one can sue a newspaper uh, for publishing falsehoods, it not only has to be false, but it has to be done with reckless disregard for the truth, a level of recklessness or actual malice. Mm -hmm. And that was the standard articulated by the Supreme Court. Now, in that case, it wasn't really a big deal, because one could say, yeah, all right, uh, NAACP, you don't get to sue, because the, the, the reason we want the press to be free is to keep the conversation open. Well, since then, in 50 or almost 60 years, you now have a press, that has no standard of behavior to be held to at all. Right. And so the standard of, for anybody who's a public figure, you're a public figure, I'm a public figure from having been a mayor, um, folks can say just about anything about us, including palpably false stuff. Right. And people on, in the real world say, well, if it were false, they would sue. And the answer is no, you can't sue even if it is false. Right. You have to prove that the paper wrote it with the intention to do damage to you, mm-hmm. that they maliciously wrote something to damage you. Well, how do you do that? How do you get into a reporter's head and prove that to 12 people and sitting in the jury box? You can't. And so now we have an environment in which the average person sees this kind of mudslinging going on even in the press. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, there must be some truth behind it. And the answer is no, there's no truth behind it at all. It's palpably false. Mm-hmm. But that is not enough. And because you can't drag reporters uh, who have clear biases and intentions to place their views before the public and use uh, some elected official or politician as a whipping post, we end up with this degraded debate and conversation going on that now is trying to pass as a political conversation. And I think you're exactly right. Nicely put. And we're going to go to a break. But when we come back in a second here. There's this attitude about certain gatherings that are okay or certain forms of speech that are okay, but if it's religious, it's backseat. If it's religious, it's secondary or tertiary, when indeed, when indeed the entirety of the First Amendment, as you well pointed out, was to actually make that primary. There is, as many people have pointed out, one 
legitimate form of discrimination left in this country, and it's against Christians practicing their faith. And COVID has been a very handy excuse, although joining the Christians in New York, I would say, would have to be the Hasidic community as well. When we come back, more from Hugh Hallman. If you don't think Amy Barrett's nomination was one of the most important dividends of the Trump administration, you don't know much. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have with us Hugh Hallman, former mayor of Tempe, uh, attorney at law. Uh, Hugh, right before the break, I was talking about uh, what some people uh, have called the last remnant of respectable discrimination, and that is against uh, people uh, practicing uh, their Christian faith. We saw a bunch of it, oddly, too in New York um, in response particularly to gatherings that violated uh, the state and city orders there or purportedly violated. It was quite a thing to see. It was quite a thing to see some of these communities gone after. But it is true, isn't it, that um, that COVID has been wildly used for political purposes that, in fact, do trump a lot of, or yeah, no pun intended, but do trump a lot of constitutional considerations, no? And it's sad, and that's one of the most challenging things for me as someone who's worked in this area for my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, my first campaign, I was two years old working for Barry Goldwater at my mother's knee and that. continued to do that uh, till now. Mm-hmm. And when we fail to educate our population uh, about the tenets of our constitutional republic, we have failed the founders of this country and everyone who came after them to protect that. And more importantly, perhaps, we failed our children and grandchildren mm-hmm. because we are leaving to them a legacy that is damaged. Mm-hmm. And to fail to understand, and you had a, a wonderful caller in the last hour expressing his own experience traveling abroad, Mm -hmm. that too many Americans do not really understand the difference between the life and conditions we face here and get to uh, enjoy and those that we see around the world. And I'll use this for just a moment to pivot on to the question you really raised at the beginning. How has COVID impacted that? The United States, it's a long old saw that when the U.S. uh, gets a cold, the rest of the world... Uh, shivers Mm -hmm. because uh, the impact of the United States behavior in the shutdowns and the contraction of our economy has caused significant challenges for Americans. That's true. But look around, folks. We don't have people starving. We don't have our children in the millions starving to death. And around the world now, we have a billion people who have been shoved back into extreme poverty and whose children face starvation in the coming months and years. And that has been done because of horrific policy choices made without weighing the costs of those choices. We only have heard, oh, it's best because certain people will now be protected. There's been a cost to all of these things. And in the bigger point you're making, the cost to our failure to understand these unique features we enjoy puts them at risk. And to have the governor of New York State and the mayor of New York City 
treating people who want to celebrate their religious freedom that they are guaranteed in the First Amendment of the Constitution as something they can dispose of is a horrific result and frightens me not just for our country, but because this is the shining city on a hill that supplies so many people around the world with hope. Right. And we are destroying that hope. Right. If in Hong Kong they can march with the American flag, if Tiananmen Square, the same thing, what is it they understand that our own governors and mayors don't? Well, on that point, though, Hugh, if I might, the the, the politicalization of this disease, if you will. But also let's go back to the media, because I have to tell you, um, it's one thing for politicians to use something as a um, hammer, tong. Um, it's another for the media to buy into it. The media used to be the governor of the governors, right? They used to oversee this kind of thing, or at least that's what they told us. But to me, they have been part and parcel of this. It was by random chance. You know, I've studied this mask thing as best as I can and have my own views on it. But it was by random chance I was listening to a doctor from UCLA interviewed on another talk show, and they just mentioned this one news site, I don't use very much and maybe most people haven't heard of. And it did a wonderful analysis of states and countries with mask mandates showing tremendous rises of, uh, of infections, coronavirus infections, after, after the mask mandate. And, of course, some where they go down, but a lot where they went up. And it just seems to me a normal media would inform us of these things, and it wouldn't be by random chance I would stumble on that little data. I think that's exactly right. You, you, you are a very careful reader of what's going on and how the media has covered everything. And there is, all of us have bias. And our word choice is rarely um, uh, completely unambiguous and clear. And the ambiguities we have in the English language, and not all language, frankly, is intended to help us slide over things that are uncomfortable. Our language is created to keep our societies together. And when we have to have conversations, that language allows us to, to slide over things to keep from poking one another in the eyes and in the nose. But that language is important. And we have been lied to, in my view. It's a dishonest statement to pretend that the press any longer doesn't have a real clear view that's spoken constantly and continuously. Let me just give you one simple example. Sure. The new story we talked about that has yeah. now finally been covered about a Christian music festival, and I'm quoting the headline, Christian mm -hmm. music festival drew thousands to Tempe Town Lake without a permit and flouting COVID-19 precautions. Okay. Now, the word flouting <laughs> yeah. isn't, you know, something that doesn't carry a lot of weight to it, right. but... Here, here's, the, here's the statement that's made in the story. I read it fairly carefully, and there's an attempt to give this side and that side. And it always annoyed me that reporters would pretend that the two sides are equally balanced and balance the sides even when it's clear that the facts don't support it. Okay, I get that. It helps make sure that both sides are properly fully vetted. But here's an example. This is a news story. Hold the and thought. Hold the thought. No, hold the thought. Hold the conclusion. This is good. It's too good to rush it uh, before the break. Can you hold that? And we'll come right back on it. Of course I can. You know how this is. What, 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 do we, what do we call this? We have to take an obnoxious commercial break. A, um... <laughs> it's called a tease because the line oh. I'm about to read you is fascinating. There you go. There you go. It's the Hugh Hallman Show. He and Seth Leibson will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. You know, I only take one supplement, and that's Balance of Nature. I take it every single day. I get tens of thousands of vital nutrients. It improves my health. It boosts my immunity, and it can do and will do the same for you. They have a great deal right now where they're offering 35% off new orders of their preferred fruits and veggies. That's what I take, and free shipping. Love the free shipping. Give them a call at 800-246-8751. Go to balanceofnature.com and make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Hugh Holman, thank you for your patience, sir. Wind it back just a sentence or two before you get to that great coda I know you were approaching like uh, Maynard Ferguson. Uh, So (laughs) we had uh, an AZ Central uh, Arizona Republic news story reporting on a Sunday Christian music festival. And the real issue is that we have to start recognizing that the language that's being used in the press, even when we pretend that is somehow uh, balanced, is not. When you have authors opining, putting their opinions into what are supposed to be news stories, it's no longer supposed to be on the news pages. It should be on the editorial page. And that editorial view has gone from what used to be in a couple of pages in the paper and a view hashed out by an editorial board. It's now showing up in every news story. Mm. And that is largely because our schools that are pretending to teach how to write are failing our students and instead arguing that they should be expressing their opinions Mm -hmm. in everything they're writing Mm -hmm. and dressing it up as if it is news, not opinion. And my point about this one news story is an example of there's some effort to describe both sides of it. It's ordered as, how dare you? The first part of the story is that they flouted the the, these Christians gathered to pray and sing, and they flouted the city's mask mandate. Well, of course, the city's mask mandate, if properly understood, can only take place under the guidance of the governor's executive orders, all of which declared that we could not, as a society, mandate behavior in contradiction to the U.S. Constitution. Mm -hmm. And the First Amendment very clearly protects the freedom to assemble and to worship. Mm -hmm. That is the point of the First Amendment, in addition to the freedom of the press. But... Four elements of that of that First Amendment out of five are all about protecting religious freedom. Why? Because that was a crucial issue for the founding of this society. Mm-hmm. Having people fled Europe to be able to worship, that concept reta- was retained by our founders in that First Amendment. And so protecting religious freedom, it wasn't the Christians who were worried, it was Christian sects worried about being beat upon by the Church of England folks Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. might otherwise, you know, create a a state religion that precluded the smaller sects from exercising their freedom to speak and to practice. Well, in this news story that pretends uh, pretends to be balanced has this example, quote, exempt or not, Organizers still needed to request a city permit and show that they were taking adequate safety precautions, like requiring masks or social distancing. What does this reporter not understand about the word exempt? By definition, if they're exempt, you don't got to follow these rules. How idiotic to write that conclusion. But it is an editorial statement. Mm -hmm. And it was somebody wanting to express that how dare these people gather in a park, the consummate place to practice the First Amendment, and gather together 
And how dare they do that without following the rules set down by the city of Tempe? Now, I feel bad for the elected officials. They're caught in a terrible spot. Mm -hmm. But the right answer is, believe it or not, this happened once before. Mm -hmm. There was a guy on the city council at the time who got a call from a Baptist church group who were being told by the city of Tempe staff who ran the park that they had to leave. They were not allowed to assemble and pray because they were offending the people who were doing an exercise class elsewhere in the park. And this crazy councilman got on the phone with the city staffers and said, who the hell do you think you are? Have you never heard of the First Amendment? Mm -hmm. You cannot do this. Now, you might imagine that that crazy man eventually became mayor of the city, but the point is that the city council members have to better understand and be able to explain to their constituents, I appreciate that you might find this to be offensive, that you find Christianity to be offensive, but I have to stand here and will protect their right to worship in this park just as I will stand there and protect your right not to do so. And that's what our elected officials have to be retrained about, what the meaning of this Constitution is. And no matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, it means that you have to stand up for the principles and policies that make this country special, unique, and a shining city on a hill that provides the world with hope. Nicely put. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the politics of the day. We'll be right back with the great Hugh Holman. Little little uh, Delbert McClinton for you there. Uh, if you're thinking about selling your house or if you're trying to sell your house and it's not going well, you want to call my friend James Wexler of JMG Real Estate. He is a friend, and he's done this for a lot of people I know. He is the real estate agent that sells more homes, over $500,000, than any other agent in Phoenix and Scottsdale. He guarantees to sell your home at market value, or he will pay you the difference. No risk to you. He'll always let you out of a contract at any time if you want. I don't think you will, but he, of course, offers that, as he also offers to make you an upfront guarantee on your home within 24 hours, if that's more convenient to you. Give James Wexler a call at 480-386-0700. One one, or reach out to him online at jameswexler.com. That's jameswexler, W-E-X-L-E-R dot com. We're talking to my good buddy, Hugh Holman. And Hugh, Election Day, a lot is involved in this. A lot has been poured into this. Um, it looked from news reports earlier that the economy was the number one issue on voters' minds, but it hasn't been on the media uh, for the media, the number one issue has, of course, been SARS-CoV-2, as you call it, as it should be called. And the way that this has been um, made a um, political football to me has, has been maddening, and it's been maddening almost exclusively in one direction. I was at a dinner party the other night talking with um, – talking with some folks and I, I usually don't do politics but they couldn't resist and they're not where I am and they were parroting the exact lines Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden have both uttered many times that Donald Trump is responsible for 200,000 deaths in America and I said to them did you ever see the report from Deborah Burks at the end of March who said if we do everything perfectly we will get up to 200,000 deaths. 
no, no, hadn't seen it, hadn't seen it. The, the, the media is happy to report what Biden and Pelosi say to politicize this for a point, to an, to a, to an end, to a political result. They never fact-check Pelosi or Biden on these things. And it is amazing how much people do pick up on it and how ignorant they are on the full statistics and revelations that people like you and I have discovered for ourselves about this thing. Yeah, I think it's shameful. It, it is, and, and but it's part and parcel of the same theme. The economy was humming along at such an amazing rate uh, with such a huge lift during the last four years from sensible policy. Lots of people say they don't like the president personally, but they have benefited wildly from the policies that he's implemented, from uh, certainly some tax cuts, which have not been particularly large, but they've been targeted, uh, cutting regulatory structures, working to stop the drain of, of our businesses and our manufacturing out of the country, and stopping the wholesale theft of the intellectual property creations that this country has come to be the font of for the rest of the world um, with China, um, solving uh, insoluble problems in the Middle East, creating three treaties that uh, one presidency ago were thought to be completely impossible. And those things have created a result here, including, and I should add, forcing Western Europe to pay more of its share, it's still not paying its share of the cost of its own defense. But all of those things have helped lift some of the burden from the shoulders of Americans and given a sense of freedom to our activities and opened some uh, floodgates of innovation. All of that was at stake. And this coronavirus, when they couldn't destroy it by talking about how uh, – President Trump was in bed with uh, Putin or other goofy scenarios that have now more or less been proved to be completely false and made up with conspiracy activity by some in the government. Now, you think we're all a bunch of right-wing wacko conspiracy theorists. No, we now have clear evidence that we had people in the federal government working against this president and trying to destroy his opportunity to lead from the beginning. And when that did not work... We now are handed the coronavirus. Recall at the beginning, President Trump said we've got to stop travel from China, and he was called a racist, and that he was at fault for destroying the world's connectivity. You had the, the, the Democrats' presidential candidate calling him a racist, and the same with the governor of New York. And suddenly, everything he did early on to try to limit the damage from the virus uh, has now been deemed prescient, but now claimed by the Democrats, and that instead anything that has caused spread is the fault of this president and Republicans. Recall just three months ago that the press was touting the three worst states in the country were Arizona, Texas, and Florida, <laughs> right. all run by Republican governors, right. and ignoring California and New York. New York, the site of the death mills. Mm -hmm. because the governor of that state couldn't resist not sending elderly people who were sick back into their uh, original care homes, contaminating all of their compatriots. 
That's the environment which we're in. So when you couldn't destroy the economy indirectly through uh, crazy stories, now we have this disease. And the drumbeat was, if we do not shut everybody into their homes, we will all die. And in fact, we now know, as you allowed Lewis and I to discuss early on, we know who's at risk. It's people who are 65 years and older. And the rest of us can be still out at work as long as we are cognizant of the fact that you can't go visit grandma then, or if you've got somebody with a health condition in your home, you've got to take different measures. And we can all take responsibility for doing that. But instead, it was one size fits all. Let's all get locked down. Well, now Europe is going back into this. Remember, these were the people who insisted right. that the United States didn't follow the science, that Donald Trump refused to follow scientists, and they had followed all the scientists. And where is the big surge coming back? It's in Europe. Yep. It's in France. Yep. The leader of the band of folks who said that, uh, you know, it's America's fault. They yep. always blame America first crowd. Yep. Yep. And now where is it worse again? France. You've got people pouring out of Paris over the weekend to get out of the lockdown in Paris that they're going back into the entire country. And here in the United States, are we going to see surges? Absolutely. Guess what, folks? Randomness happens. And the places where we've had a higher rate of infection are going to see lower rates. Why? Because there are fewer people to still get infected. Imagine go. that. Well, Hugh, you've and been great. This, well, this virus has been used to destroy the very economy that was going to get this president reelected. And it succeeded. And now their claim is it's his fault that people have died. I'm sorry. Uh, take a look at the people like the governor of New York who jammed old sick people back into their care centers. That's the murderer. Hugh, I'll say to you what I said to Donald Trump Jr. I'll have what you're having. Thanks for spending some of your time with us, brother. It's great. It's an you. honor and a privilege. Thank God, you, Seth. God Thank you me. to your listeners. Bless you. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us on this monumental, most monumental of days. We'll know something tomorrow. We may not know everything but whatever it is, we'll get through it together. If you missed my monologue, you never know. I, I do these every day. I never know what's going to strike and what isn't. I got more feedback on this than a lot in a long time. And they're always available at YouTube. Just go to YouTube.com and put 960 The Patriot in the search window. Hit subscribe. It's all free. If you missed it, it's available there. But a lot of you wrote me saying, why don't you close the show today with how you closed your monologue, but in the original. And with that, I give you this. I walked through a county courthouse square on a park bench. An old man was sitting there. I said, your old courthouse is kind of run down. He said, no, it'll do for our little town. I said, your old flagpole has leaned a little bit, and that's a ragged old flag you got hanging on it. He said, have a seat, and I sat down. Is this the first time you've been to our little town? I said, I think it is. He said, I don't like to brag, but we're kind of proud of that ragged old flag. You see, we got a little hole in that flag there when Washington took it across the Delaware. And it got powder burned the night that Francis Scott Key said, watching it right and say, can you see? And it got a bad rip in New Orleans With Packingham and Jackson tugging at its seams And it almost fell at the Alamo 
beside the Texas flag, but she waved on, though. She got cut with a sword at Chancellorsville, and she got cut again at Shiloh Hill. There was Robert E. Lee, Beauregard, and Bragg, and the south wind blew hard on that ragged old flag. On Flanders Field in World War I, she got a big hole from a Bertha gun. She turned blood red in World War II. She hung limp and low a time or two. She was in Korea, Vietnam. She went where she was sent by her Uncle Sam. She waved from our ships upon the briny foam, and now they've about quit waving back here at home. In her own good land here, she's been abused. She's been burned, dishonored, denied, and refused. And the government for which she stands is scandalized throughout the land. And she's getting threadbare and she's wearing thin, but she's in good shape for the shape she's in. Cause she's been through the fire before And I believe she can take a whole lot more So we raise her up every morning We take her down every night We don't let her touch the ground And we fold her up right On second thought I do like to brag Cause I'm mighty proud of that ragged old flag <laughs> 